The Cosmic Adverse Podcast, written and read by Nick Perry. Book 1, Fireside Flush. Chapter 2, Prospectus. The late afternoon sun painted the sky with shades of gold and periwinkle as the boys walked through Tutoma's gates. The town's gatekeepers watched the quintet pass under a wooden frame with Tutoma scrawled across it. Thatched huts lined the dirt road as it casually snaked through the small village. There were few people out tending to their abodes this evening. Many people had already lit candles for the sun's reclusion over the horizon. Balu, Viti, and Lavu lived near the village's entrance, where the elders had built large, multi-room huts for each of their families. The trio of troublemakers said their goodbyes to Sir and Roland, and the group split into two. Sir and Roland ventured farther into town. They approached the village's communal hall, where the elders often met to discuss important matters. The sound of hushed commotion could be heard coming from behind the hall's large oak doors. Roland looked up at Sir, the latter of whom stood fixated, trying to hear the conversation inside the hall. Roland shook Sir, and the two of them snuck around the back of the building. The communal hall reminded Sir of a larger version of the residential homes built by Tuatoma's master builder, Artiflex Luto. Although he was shorter than most, Art could use the Earth's magic land like no one else in the village. Thick mud provided structure to the main hall, while a large thatched roof sat on top like a teenager's mess of hair. The walls, reinforced by bamboo, made it difficult for Sir and Roland to hear the details of the commotion inside. Sir searched around the back of the hall and found a small ray of light that provided an opening just large enough for the boy to see through. He gazed into the large room. Inside, all of the village elders were sitting around a long table, engaged in hushed conversation. An older man sat at the head of a long table, completely removed and disinterested in the bickering in front of him. Instead, he seemed lost in an internal dialogue. He shared Sir's dark brown eyes and tan complexion. The ambivalent man was none other than Ward Seraphin, Sir's uncle and lackluster guardian. He had raised Sir with a harsh silence befitting a man who was capable of drunkenness and disdain. Sir received little love from his silver-haired uncle, and in return the boy refused to show the same respect that Ward somehow garnered from the other villagers. Ward Seraphin had worked tirelessly ever since founding Tuatoma as a sanctuary for their loosely defined tribe. Everyone in the village looked to Ward as a leader, as someone who could be trusted to bring about a time of peace in an otherwise chaotic world. Sir's version of leadership was much different than the version shared by the other residents in Tutoma. Where others respected his uncle's firm hand, Sir often found himself questioning such brute tactics. Ward had made several enemies in the surrounding nomadic tribes of Tutoma. The Kama River Valley brought a number of wandering tribes throughout the seasons, and upon discovering the relatively stable village, the tribes would beg for inclusion. Ward and the other elders always turned them away, refusing to, even to give rations to those starving. A small platform, used mostly for festivals and performances, was raised on one end of the hall. It overlooked the long table that was carted in and out, depending on the function. When the village met as a whole, someone, usually Ward, would speak from the platform to the village inhabitants as they sat on the floor. Torches hung around the empty space, providing ample light for the agitated men. Their heated discussion reached a crescendo as Sir leaned into the small gap in the wall. That poor excuse of a god has doomed his entire kingdom, an elder exclaimed. The speaker, a man named Hodea Pluvia, looked like an older version of his son, Viti. The elder Pluvia's blue eyes accentuated his panicked expression. But what if it's more? Why would he do... Another chimed in. This voice, slow and low, came from Kalju Kota Kivi. Kalju, born in the small desert town of Kivi, 
or the darkest skin in the village and towered over the other to atone in residence. Kalju would often speak of the deserts fondly, often proclaiming his preference for the dry heat over Afrit's sweaty armpit. When Sir asked the man why he moved to Afrit and settled into Atoma in the first place, the man from Kivi would shrug his shoulders as a small smile crossed his face. Kalju had never married nor had any kids, as far as Sir knew. He was, in his own words, devoted to Atoma through and through. A third elder, paranoid and frenzied, shouted above the rest, He's going to come here, I just know it! A voice this shrill could have come from no one in Tuatoma except Oak Zuk. Oak was one of the few men in the village who could control the wind's magic. The commotion in the main hall continued to stir. Lavu Kanulo, sitting to the right of Ward, tried to bring order to the men in the hall. Having no luck, Lavu Farama's father looked at Ward and promptly stomped on the elder seraphim's foot under the table. Ward snapped out of his thoughts and quickly slipped his hand up to quiet the building frenzy. Friends, he said in a gruff voice. The others immediately fell silent. Sir's breath swept back into his throat as he listened, intent on remaining unnoticed. We don't know if today's the day or if tomorrow's the day, Ward said as he stood. We'll know it when the flame and fire are before us and not a day before. We've had quite the history together, all of us. We've wrestled with this hiding place thrust upon us. We've wrestled with the jungles of a foreign land. We've wrestled with the sound and the fury of the local populations, but we won't wrestle with destiny, with Eo. She above all will guide us out of the darkness. And yet we've worked so hard to build a safe haven, Oak exclaimed. We can't just stand by when that asshole in Mount Vore decides to start a war. Ward kept his hand raised. There have been other wars, Zuck. None of them have disrupted our lives in this village. But none of those wars started with kidnapping a god's daughter, Oak retorted. We should have known that our calling drew near as we became comfortable. As we prepared this settlement, Canulo said with a touch of melancholy. I spoke with the minstrels when they arrived, Hudea said. They were the ones who brought news of Tandros's injustice in Cornelia. Now the keeper sending his basalt thugs through the jungle to each of the tribes, seeking out able-bodied men to serve in his crimson army. All those who refuse are enough, Ward raised his voice. If a crimson army is raised, it will undoubtedly be extinguished like the ocean's tide. The next chapter in Nevera's story is unfolding before our very eyes, and we must play our part in this ballet of blood and hubris. Sir removed himself from the slit in the bamboo. He let his eyes adjust to Twilight's quickening pace before motioning towards Roland. The young inventor had heard much of the conversation and looked to Sir for comfort. The Tomasi forced a smile that Roland mimicked with some trepidation. Once they had made their way back to the dirt road, Sir whispered, The elders know what need to be done. Roland nodded and remained silent as he and Sir continued along the dusty path. A few moments later, they were standing in front of Roland's home. Sir again reassured the boy that everything would be fine. Roland then walked through the door to his family's hut, and Candlelight welcomed the young boy with a warm glow. Sir watched the Chihal's front door close before continuing to his home situated at the end of the village. Sir opened the door to his home and found that his uncle had not been home since early morning. He moved about in the darkness, searching for a candle and match. His fingers recognized the shapes of his quest items on the small table in the center of the main room. Soon, the hut was filled with dueling light and long shadows. The Seraphim's house was divided into three rooms, one main room that served as a living area, kitchen, and dining area, one bedroom for Ward, and lastly, a small bedroom for Sir. The main living area was large and mostly clean. Sir saw to it that it stayed tidy. 
A rack of training swords and other handheld weapons hung above the elaborate woodwork of their fireplace's mantle. Large spherical pillows, usually safe for guests, sat in a pile of dust along the opposite wall. Two wooden chairs surrounded a small dining table. Sir placed the lit candle in its holder on the table, then walked over to the nearby pantry. The young man proceeded to pull out some ingredients for the vegetable soup that he and his uncle would be having that evening. The soup cooked up quickly on the fire pit, and Sir lapped up the soup alone in his home. The candle's fire kept the boy company as he watched it dance around on the wick. Sir enjoyed the peace and quiet that often accompanied dusk. When Sir had had his fill, he cleaned up the area and sat aside some soup for his uncle's inevitable return from the elders' meeting. Ward slurped cold soup from a large bowl as Sir sat at the table quietly watching his uncle. The old man was once again lost in thought. Sir presumed the evening's discussion weighed on his uncle's mind. The boy watched as Ward's internal machinations worked over his lined face. Sir decided that now was the time to broach the subject. Uh, how was the elders' meeting? Sir sheepishly asked his uncle. And how would you know about that? Ward looked to his nephew as he chewed on the vegetables. It wasn't hard to hear the commotion in the hall from the road, Sir responded coolly. Ward shrugged his shoulders. I wouldn't worry about it. It's not that time. Sir didn't understand Ward's terse response, but the boy decided not to push the subject any further. Ward was normally terse in his dealings with his nephew, and Sir had learned to let well enough alone. Besides, Ward continued, don't you have your meditation? Sir sighed. He obliged his uncle and excused himself from the table. Sir moved to the middle of the hut and slumped down on its dirt floor in a meditative pose. Eo, Sir repeated to himself during his internal reflection. Ward had ingrained the word and the idea of Eo into the boy ever since Sir had been a small child. The young Tomasi closed his eyes and lost himself. Eo is everything, Ward said with a gruff, tobacco-laden voice. He ran a hand through his pepper-colored hair. Eo is what ravels the draw. It provides us with Kanta. It is with Eo that we're allowed to survive. A young sir, having only ten harvests behind him, looked incredulously at Ward. It was one of the few times that the man had shown any sort of love or mentorship. They sat together in the middle of the main room of the hut. But what is Eo? Sir asked. The world is a pyramid, sir, Ward explained. Eo is the tip of that pyramid. It holds together all of the kanta, or magic, in the world. It is, uh, uh, no, the energy that we feel around us. The base of the pyramid is made of the four elements, earth, water, fire, and wind. Everyone in Nevera is born under one of these elements. You, me, your friends. We are all connected to Eo through the natural elements. And Eo lets us use magic? Sir asked, jumping straight to the point. Through Eo, we command the elements. The keepers are trusted with the balance of the elements. Without them, Eo wouldn't exist. And if Eo doesn't exist, we don't exist. Who controls Eo? Sir asked, careful that his uncle could revert back to his abusive, natural state at any time. No one in Nevera, Ward said. He motioned to Sir to close the topic. Then, what is your magic? Sir replied incredulously. None of your business. Ward snarled. This was the ward that Sir knew. Don't the elements follow common blood? What is your magic? I probably have the same as you, Sir exclaimed. I had a canta, Ward admitted through gritted teeth, but that bitch took it from me. 
She castrated me, stole it, the one thing I was good at, and took my brother with her in the process. He turned to Sir. Figure out what magic you use, and you'll be worth something to the world. Right now, you're nothing. Nothing but a god's damned kid. Well, then that's it, then, Sir replied indignantly. I still have time to figure out my element, so I am worth something to the world. I've still got an opportunity. I've still got time. Then he added, it's more than you'll ever be worth. Ward put all of his weight behind the hand that collided with the side of Sir's head. The boy was sent flying across the hut. Sir's head hit the nearby wall with a loud thud. He rolled on the ground. A small trickle of blood snaked its way down the boy's temple. You will not speak to me in that way in my own home, Ward exclaimed as his eyes widened with anger. Sir looked up and faced his uncle. Ward drew one of the retraining swords from its place above the mantle. He threw it on the ground in front of the boy. Sir picked it up and held it with both hands. Made with thick iron, the sword felt heavy in the boy's hands. Ward removed another sword and charged at the boy. Sir leapt out of the way as his uncle slashed at him. Ward swung his sword again towards Sir. This time the boy blocked it with an upward motion. The two of them sparred for a moment. Then Ward slashed horizontally at Sir. The boy scooted back quickly and narrowly missed having his abdomen sliced in half. Ward watched as Sir sidestepped around him and quickly reclaimed a sparring composure. Sir's eyes followed his uncle's movements when the sight of the black sword caught the boy's attention. The ebony-colored weapon sat high above the mantle. Ward maneuvered so that he stood between the boy and the sword. Sir watched in amazed horror as a white flash arced through the room, piercing through Ward's back. The man fell to his stomach and writhed in pain. Sir dropped his sword at the sound of his uncle's shrill scream and ran over to him. Ward waved the boy off and tried to pick himself back up, failing a few times before crawling to a nearby pillow. As Ward leaned back, he cautiously evaluated both the boy and the black sword. Eo! Eo! Ward wheezed through hacking coughs. Sir didn't quite understand the world of Nevera and its magic pyramid, but he did understand the incredible power of Eo. Sir, now in the present, opened his eyes and stared at that black sword, hung in its rightful place above the mantle. It was long, black, and felt like it didn't belong in a small town in the jungle. The sword's hilt was wrapped in a black leather grip, and the blade had been kept cleaned and sharpened. Sir could see that the covered hilt was decorated with a foreign script. The characters shone through the leather like sunshine through a tree's leaves. The letters, they could even be called letters, danced around like a piece of poetry. The sword filled Sir with a sense of dread, and he felt as if he could understand the text even though the tongue was unfamiliar. The most striking feature of the sword's blade was a silver etching of an unknown woman. She was young and beautiful. Her hair was pulled back in a way that made her look statelier than her age might have otherwise suggested. She wore a tunic that flowed down the length of the blade. The etching seemed to swirl out of the blade to create its hilt. Sir gazed at the deadly weapon, thinking to himself as he met the reflection of his eyes in the sword. The area surrounding Tuatoba held only small mines that produced coal or iron used in weapons. Never had the young man seen a black sword outside of his own home. He often wondered how Ward could have come into possession of such a beautiful and rare artifact. The boy could only assume that his uncle had stolen it in a previous life. Ward moved the candle on the table closer to him and used it to light a tobacco pipe. Smoke billowed in the hut and made its way towards an open window. 
Sirk inhaled the smoke like incense at a religious ceremony. It filled him with few memories of life before the farm. He remembered playing in the dusty road to the village as a toddler. He remembered the first time he went fishing with his friends. The other boys had laughed at him when he had returned his day's catch back into the river. They had called him soft then. Sir may have been soft then, but he knew that he preferred watching nature run its course to catching fish. Ward scooted the candle back to the center of the table. As he moved it, Sir watched as the flame's reflection slid along the woman's body from the bottom of her tunic up to her eyes, which faced downwards. The flame contoured across the blade and the etching in slow motion. The woman in the sword flicked her eyes towards Sir, meeting the boy's gaze with her own. Sir reeled backwards. She had moved. Sir blinked and then stared with wide-eyed wonder at the etching. It was no use, however. The woman in the blade had returned her eternal gaze back toward the hilt of the black sword. Thank you for listening to the Cosmic Adverse Podcast. Hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Feel free to go to iTunes, subscribe, leave us feedback. You can also find us on our website, CosmicAdverse.com. Otherwise, talk to you next week.